right. If you guys don't stop talking, I can't start. So kind of at an impasse here. Welcome to Northville Christian. We're glad you're here, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, thousandth time, whatever it may be. We are glad that you're here today. Hey, listen, if it is your first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest this morning. We do have something for you, a gift for you back at our information center. And also, if you ever have any questions about what we have going on here and what we're doing, you can ask any of the pastors that are here. You can go to the info center, and they'll be able to help you out as well. So, again, don't, don't leave here with questions. Please ask. Ask away. That's what we're here for. We want to make sure you feel welcome this morning. Um, I just want to address a couple little housekeeping items this morning. Next week is Communion Sunday. And we're going to change it up a little bit, how we do Communion Sunday. What I mean by that is, is the elements, when they are passed out, we're not going to be doing the prepackaged elements, okay? They will be available if, if you're not comfortable taking from the plate as it passes by. Um, so we will have some back on these, by the giving boxes. But we're going to be passing the plates with the little crackers and the juice and all that kind of stuff, all right? Because... Some of those prepackaged ones, I'm pretty sure they're fermented anyway. Um, we always check the dates, but I'm like, whoo, that's wine. Um, uh, again, we check the dates. but uh, So that's going to be happening uh, next week. So I want to make you aware of that. So when you come in, if you're like, hey, I'm not comfortable with that yet, that's cool. Teach their own. We will have uh, little bunches back there. And then also... Um, I'm, I'm only bringing this up because you guys are so incredible, and you have been praying for us, and um, I slept in a house in Canton last night, not in Flushing, Michigan. So, my commute this morning was 15 minutes, not an hour and 15 minutes, and so um, it's harder to get rid of us now that we have a home in the area, so sorry about that, but no, we are excited to be here, and we're excited to get to know you guys better. And I know you've heard me say it from April when you interviewed us all the way till now. We are very relational people, and that is really the only way that we know how to lead and to do life. And it's hard to do when you're so far away. So we are excited to be here. Um, so our, our pastors, we are at a pastor's retreat. And my wife said, you know we're going to get the keys to the house when you're away, right? And we had no idea when we were going to be able to move in. Sure enough, we were gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Amber sends me a text, said, we're getting the keys tomorrow, and I said, of course you are. And um, our house uh, hasn't been updated decoration-wise in a very long time, and so there is wallpaper on every single wall and surface in that home. By the time I got home Saturday afternoon, every bit of it was down already, and my wife and her family just went crazy. And uh, so anyway... Needless to say, we are very excited to be in this area, be closer to you, and we are excited to start doing life together. Today, we're going to continue our series on lies. Lies. Sometimes there are lies that Satan is telling us. There's things that he is trying to convince us. Sometimes there are just lies that aren't necessarily coming from him, but just lies that we choose to believe ourselves. There are lies that we tell 
ourselves. Can you do me a favor? Can you turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6? Judges chapter 6. Now, i got to warn you, this is one of my favorite Bible stories, if not my favorite. And we're going to be talking about Gideon today. And the reason why I get so excited to talk about Gideon is because when I read, read Gideon's story, I go, yep, that's me. Yep, I understand where he's coming from. I totally get where Gideon is coming from. So uh, there are some lies, though, that Gideon believes early on in this story, and we're going to address those. So we're going to start reading in Judges chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, and it goes like this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so, impro so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's pray. God, I need you. I need you now more than ever. I need you to speak through me. Lord, I don't want one single word that leaves my mouth to be mine. I want them all to be yours. God, I pray that our hearts would be open and ready to receive what you have for us today. Lord, I don't care if someone in this room has heard this story, this sermon a million times. I pray that you would get a hold of each and every heart in this place. God, do something in us. I want to leave this place excited, energized, ready, God to do what you have called me, what you have called us to do. God, I love you with everything that I am. Have your way in this place and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're still getting to know each other, right? I've only been here three months. What's the date? Three months tomorrow. Three months tomorrow. So we're still getting to know each other. And I... I want you guys to know something, that I tend to be a very nervous guy by nature. As you get older, I don't know if any, any of you guys in here tend to be nervous, but as you get older, you tend to hide the nervousness a little bit better, right? So as a kid being nervous, I just didn't talk to a lot of people. 
I was pretty shy. I was pretty quiet. I would wait to respond to someone till they spoke to me first. I would just kind of wait, kind of hide in the background. I usually had like one or two close friends, and we kind of do our thing. But I wasn't like Mr. Joe Cool. I know, big surprise. I wasn't Mr. Popular. I didn't know everybody. I was pretty quiet, pretty nervous. I worried about a lot. Are we going to be late? I'm always thinking about what could go wrong. So what I began to do is as I'm worrying, as I'm thinking about what could go wrong, I began to go, all right, I'm just always going to prepare for worst case scenario. Is anybody else in here like that? Worst case scenario type people? Because my thought is if I'm prepared for the worst and anything else above that happens, gravy, baby, we're good to go. I'm prepared. It's all good. So that's how I began to hide my nervousness. Now we just call it preparation. Gideon is one of my favorite people in the Bible because of this. He's afraid. Nervousness, what's the root of nervousness? Fear, right? Gideon is afraid. He is dealing with fear and for good reason. But we see that Gideon is buying into lies that we often buy into today. Today I want to talk about the lies that we believe when we're afraid. Specifically, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Have you ever had that thought? Have you? I'm not enough. God, how can you use me? God, do you know who I am? God, do you know what I just did 10 minutes ago? Lord, you know I mess things up all the time. How can you use me? I am not enough. I have this thought often. <laughs> I struggle with this often. But how many are thankful for a good God who says, you don't have to be enough because I'm enough? Amen. So there's three lies that we're going to discuss this morning. God isn't with me. I don't have what it takes. What are others going to think about me? I want to give you some context, though, to this story. Sometimes we can jump right into the middle of a story and, and not really understand what's truly going on. And so we miss some things. So I want to talk about actually the Midianites here for a second. The Midianites, they would invade. And these people were nomadic. They often lived in the north. And when they would show up, they're just ravaging the entire land. They are taking everything by force. They would wipe out, they would show up at times of harvest and wipe it all out so that the Israelites are struggling to find food. They're so afraid, they're hiding in mountains and in caves. There's so many of them, they're like locusts. They're like a plague that just show up and wipe everything out. We see that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is he threshing wheat in the wine press? Well, because there's no grapes to have those in the wine press. Why no grapes? They've been wiped out. Life is hard. Life is bad. They're hiding. And this is going on for seven years. It's going on for seven years because of the first verse we read, that they had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first thing I want to point out. It's kind of a side note. But these people are out of the will of God. He specifically said, do not do this. Do not follow their gods. Do not do this. Do not do that. And what did they do? That's exactly what they did. 
So he said, all right, here you go. You get to deal with these guys for a little while. God allowed this to happen because they were doing evil in his sight. The first lie that I want to talk about this morning that we see in this story is God isn't with me. God isn't with me. Judges 6, verse 13 and 14, go like this. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Essentially, when the angel is having this conversation with Gideon, I mean, think about this. The dude is hiding. He's hiding in a place. He's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. So he's already trying to accomplish a job with the wrong tools. Have you ever tried that? You ever had a, a, a situation where you're like, I'm trying to fix something. I don't have the right tools. So we're going to try to make this work and make this happen. Think about how frustrating that is. And this is what Gideon is doing. He is in there. He's not in a place that you would normally thresh this wheat. But he's doing what he has to do so he can eat, so he can live. And here comes this angel. God is with you, mighty warrior. What would you think in that moment? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. First of all, my mind would go, mighty warrior? Do you see where I am? Do you see what's going on? Mighty warrior, are you kidding me? And then quickly, God is with you. And this is the part that Gideon is addressing. God isn't with us. God isn't with us. How can he be with us? I heard all these stories about Egypt. I heard what he did to get them out of Egypt. These crazy, awesome stories. These crazy, awesome miracles. And look where we are. God is not with us. So where is he? Church, when we start to believe God isn't with me, that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God calls each and every one of us to do things. If you're in this place and you think God is done with me, God doesn't have a job for me, he doesn't have something I'm supposed to be doing, that is a lie as well. The people that are called into ministry aren't the ones that just have pastor in front of their name. Every single person in this room is called to be used by God. And when you think God is not with me, oh, God's with them. God's with them. We oftentimes believe that God is willing to do things for other people that he's not willing to do for us. And we often believe that God is, his presence is with other people. Like, oh, man, look how holy they are. 
Look at the awesome things that they say. God's presence is definitely with them. And then we look at ourselves and where we mess up and things that we do wrong and we go, God is definitely not with me the same way that he's with them. Here's one thing that I've learned. If God is calling you to it, he's going to see you through it. God isn't looking for perfect people that have all the right tools. I mean, if that was the case, it'd be hard for him to get the glory that he deserves, right? We look at a situation and go, well, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, that, that person's perfect. They have exactly what it takes. Of course. But how amazing if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, wow, God just used me to do something crazy like that? Then you start to go, wow, God is good. I don't deserve this. I mess up all the time. I want to tell a really quick story. I was debating if I should tell this or not. We were, I was having a conversation with Rick Beloga. And um, when the search committee was watching, uh, like, some of my sermons and things like that, I'm one of these guys, I think self, self-deprivation is funny, okay? I do believe half of what I say, but I just think it's funny. And, and we were laughing about it, and in one of my sermons I said something like, I'm just such an idiot, and Rick goes, maybe we should believe him. <laughs> Rick, you should. You should. I thought that was hilarious. But anyway, sometimes we look at ourselves and go, I mess everything up possible. That's what I think. Man, if, if, if I could, if there's a right and a wrong way, I feel like I, I end up doing it the wrong way first, and I go, oh, man, I'm so dumb. Why did I do that? But look at, look at Paul, Right? Look how mightily God used Paul in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. And what did Paul say about himself? I'm the chief of sinners. I mess up all the time. We were just singing about the goodness of God. You know what the goodness of God is? That he uses me and you even though we mess up all the time. He's not looking for perfect vessels. He's looking for vessels that are willing. People that are just crazy enough to take him at his word and say, God, I don't see how. If you're calling me, I don't get it, but okay. Okay. You're calling me to it, I'll do it. That is faith. That is true faith. When he's saying, I want you to step out into this scary place. I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And you're like, there's no way you can use me. I'm calling you to it. All right, I'm willing to step out. And God uses you. That is the goodness of God. The second lie that we read in this story is I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. Judges 6, 15 says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. He's essentially saying, do you know who I am? I am a nobody. I am the last person that you should be choosing. There's so many other people that it makes sense for you to use, not named me. That's what he's saying. I, I'm the least. I'm the guy that should be sweeping the floor, you know, whatever. Not, not out there leading an mighty warrior. That can't be me. I am the least. Sometimes we bind to that lie that we do not have what it takes You know, Gideon isn't the first to offer up an excuse like this. We read about Moses. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Exodus 4.10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to do. God has called you. God has called you. If you have God, you have what it takes. If you are outside of God, you're probably right. You probably don't have what it takes. That's just the way that it is. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You have what it takes when you're in his will, when you're being used by him, when he is the one that is sending you. I'm great at giving God a thousand excuses as to why he shouldn't be using me. I'm great at that. I can think of a lot of reasons why, God, I'm not the right guy for the job. There's so many others out there that are more prepared. They have what it takes. I've worked with some pastors in my time, that I look at them and I go, oh my gosh, like, you are cut from the cloth that, like, I am not, right? Like, you speak well, you got the look, you got the talk, you know what to say, and I'm a bumbling buffoon, and I just say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Like, I'm, I'm comparing myself with other pastors, and it's something that I've struggled with. I'm just being honest. But God... I want God to use me, but sometimes I'll say, God, you can use me, just don't make me uncomfortable. <laughs> right? Have you ever said that? God, I'm willing to be used by you, just please call me to my couch and watch Red Zone later. That's, what I, that's how I want to be used by God. He's calling you to do things that are going to make you uncomfortable. Think what he's asking of Gideon. I'd be uncomfortable. You're going to lead this army that really doesn't even exist yet. You're going to lead an army to take on these guys? Are you kidding me? They're ruthless. They're horrible. God, please don't make me uncomfortable. Ephesians 2.10. I hope this encourages you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I heard a, a gentleman named Jeff Kennedy, who is a former DYD here in Michigan, say this a long time ago, and it's stuck with me. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Church, you are called. You are called. Another lie that we buy into, that we think about, what will others think about me? What will others think about me? Now, if I were to say to you, like, God wants to use you, and you're like, ah, I don't care what others think. We, we, we act, but deep down, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to have to say this to this person? I'm going to have to say that to that person? Verse 25 says, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 
Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. One kind of side note is before God uses Gideon to do this incredible thing, he says, you got to get your heart right. This garbage, these, this, these gods that you are serving, you got to get the sin out of your life. You need to be right with me. Side note. But he does it at night because he's afraid of what his friends and family will think about him. Has God ever put on your heart to go up and talk to a, a, a stranger and share the word of God, share the love of God with someone that you don't know? He's done that to me. Can I tell you something? That's easier for me than telling my neighbor about God. It is. I know it's sad, but it is. There's been people in my life that God has said, at some point, you're going to minister to that person, and I'm close to that person, and I go, oh, no, please send someone else. I have. I'm just being honest here. Because it's easier to walk up and say, hey, God loves you, blah, blah, blah. If they don't take it, all right, I'll never see them again. But your neighbor who you see every morning or every evening or whatever it is, you're like, oh, man. Why are you afraid? Why am I afraid? Because we're afraid about what others will think of us. There's been times where I'm like, oh, man, they're going to think like I'm one of those like crazy Christians, you know, or whatever. And like, I don't want to come off that way. And I just, I just want to show them I'm just a normal guy, but I believe God with my whole heart. And yeah, I don't do some things, but I, it doesn't, I'm not a weirdo. And, you know, I go back and forth and back and forth. Ultimately, though, I'm afraid about what that person thinks about me. Gideon was as well. He was afraid. He did it at night. It was dark. No one knew who it was at first, but it slowly leaked out. God is asking him to save all of Israel, and he is more afraid of taking down these idols that his friends and family worship. I would be way more afraid of the over, you know, 100,000 plus army than I would, that's what you would think, but he does this under the cover of darkness. What will others think about me? Church, it is time for us to stop struggling with that issue. It is time. I bet if I went through and asked all of you in this room, how many believe we're living in the end times most, if not all, would say, oh yeah, I think so. Well, if time is short and our message is important, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't want to get to heaven and stand before God. And he's like, Ben, I asked you over and over and over to talk to this person. What were you doing? I was afraid. I don't ever want that to be my excuse or my reason. Ben, I'm afraid about what others would think. You know what's crazy? Most of the time when I take that leap, that step, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to finally do it. I'm like, that was amazing. That was awesome. And then I want to go and tell more and more and more and more, right? Have you been there? You done that? But for some reason, the fear of man at times will keep me on the couch in the comfort of my own home because I'm afraid what others will think about me. 
it's time for that to end. And I want it to end here. So, Gideon buys into these lies at first. And God in his goodness begins to just address each one. God in his patience begins to address each one. There's been times in my life where I've struggled with feelings or, or something that's going on and I don't know what to do. And I, I sat down with a good friend of mine and we were just having lunch and he was the kind of friend I could just share anything and everything with. And I was just sharing just some things that were going on in my life. And, and he just really encouraged me. He said, have you ever read Psalms? I'm like, well, yeah, of course I read Psalms. He said, you ever talk to God the way that David talks to God? Maybe, I mean, maybe sometimes. But he's like, God can handle it. God can handle if you're afraid. Because he's going to be there to encourage you. He's like, come on, no, let's keep going. We could do this. Because of his goodness, he can handle these things. My last and final point, I'd like to go over the rest of the story. So Gideon says, God, if this is really you, if this is really you, I have some questions. He says, so first he assembles an army. He gets 32,000 men. Now, 32,000 men are going to take on, according to Judges 8, roughly 135,000 men. The odds are not in their favor. So they're getting ready to fight, and Gideon says, all right, <clears throat> before we do this, just, I just want to make sure we're still on the same page here. I'm going to ask for confirmation. I'm going to pray that when I wake up that there's dew only on this fleece, this piece of wool, and nowhere else. And God did it. He was good. And Gideon says, okay, 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 all right. One more thing. Please don't get mad. One more thing. If I wake up tomorrow and there's dew on the ground but the fleece is dry, then I'll know that it's you. And sometimes we can read this and be like, come on, Gideon, you know. He's already done these things. You're talking to an angel for crying out loud. You know. But how many times are you going, God, are you sure? God, are you sure? God, are you sure? So God says, you have too many men. 32,000 taken on 135,000. You have too many men. So he says, all right, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 men left. 22,000 men left. He said, I don't want to do this. It's a death wish. Why would I do this? That leaves us 10,000 men. So God says, assemble the men as they're drinking some water. Depending on how they drink this water, if they drink it this way or this way, I want you to send these ones home, and I want you to keep these ones. When it was all said and done, Gideon is down to 300 men to take on 135,000. That's wild. That's wild. But God, in all of his goodness, he knows what Gideon's going through. He knows that Gideon's afraid. I would be. You would be. He wakes Gideon up. Says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the enemy's camp and just get close. 
I want you to know what's being said in this camp. Judges chapter 7, verse 13 through 15 says, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. So even as he's sleeping and he's afraid, because God says, if you're afraid, go listen to what they're saying. So he's like, I'm going right down because I am afraid. Even the enemy knew that God was on Gideon's side. So what Gideon does is he divides these 300 men up into three companies. And he gives them trumpets, jars, and in the jars are torches. He said, as we begin to attack, I want you to yell for the Lord and for Gideon. So they do this. 300 men is taking on 135,000 men. This is insane. But they're doing it because God has called them to do it. They follow his lead. They yell for the Lord and Gideon. And it just causes mayhem. The Lord causes the Midianite army to turn on each other with their swords. And that day, Gideon and his 300 men were successful. They got the victory. What the devil meant for evil, God turned into good. Church, there are going to be times when you feel like you are standing, staring at 135,000 reasons why you shouldn't be doing what God is calling you to do. And God is saying to you, I am with you, mighty warrior. When we read this book, do you know who we're reading about? People that were crazy enough to take God at his word. They might have believed some of the lies at the beginning, but God in his goodness said, nope, 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 let me show you, let me show you, let me show you. And they finally said, all right, I'm with you. Use me. Let's go. And what they did was so incredible that we're reading about it today. That should jack you up. You should be ready to go. That person that God has been calling you to minister to, the time is now. Today is your day. Don't let fear, the fear of man, don't let your own insecurities stop you from doing what God has called you to do. I want to get to heaven someday and God say, Ben, you did what I asked you to do. You did what I asked you to do. That's what I want. I don't know. I'm not good enough. I'm not great enough in my own power. But for the grace of God, but for the goodness of God. Church, will you stay with me this morning?
I want to read to you one more verse, and it's actually a verse that we already read, but I want to highlight this verse. It's not going to be up on the screen, just, just listen. Judges 6, 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. Do what I've called you to do in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? I hope that hits you right here today. I hope that hits you right here. It hits me right here. I'm sick of being afraid. I'm sick of buying into the lies. I'm sick of focusing on me instead of focusing on him. I want him to use me. Not for my glory, for his glory. God wants to use you for his glory. You think you're broken? You're right. Just like the rest of us. But God wants to show his glory and his power through you. And he thinks the world of you. Whatever God has been calling you to do, today I want you to pray about it. Today I want you to make a decision about it. Today I want you to say, all right, all right, I'm ready. God, I've been comfortable. I want you to know, church, from the youngest to the oldest in this room, God is not through with you. If there is breath in your lungs, he is not through with you. He wants to use you to fulfill the great commission. But you have to be willing. You might have questions. Gideon had questions. I have questions. You have questions. But you just have to be crazy enough to say, hey, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to step out. Here we go. It's going to be a wild ride. But let's go. Let's go. And one other thing I want to say is it's contagious. If you have someone close to you that's doing this, you go, man, if God's using them, I know how messed up they are. He can use me too. God wants to use all of us. I am not crazy. I think, I know that we can take this community for God. I know that God has this church in this place for this time. You are here for a reason. And it isn't just to shake hands and hug necks and say, good to see you, Carl. How's the wife and kids? That's not what we're here for. This is a rally cry. Let's go. Let's go. What are we waiting on? We're going to do an altar call. It's a smooth transition, right? We're going to do an altar call. If you're in this place and you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, we want to walk through that with you. We're going to have some amazing people up front that want to pray with you and want to talk to you about that decision, answer any questions that you might have. So we're going to go into a song. Pastor James is going to lead us back into a song. And the reason why we do this is so that you have time to respond to the Word of God. Sometimes we go to a service, there's a sermon, great, wonderful, see you later. What we want to do is we want response. So if you're in this place and God's work on your heart, and you're like, man, I can't even explain what I'm feeling. I've heard some people get saved, they're like, I got like goosebumps everywhere when you talk about God. I don't care what you call it. 
we just want to introduce you to God because he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But also to those in this room, if you're like, man, this is hitting me right between the eyes. I know God has been speaking to me and I've been running from it. I know God has plans for me and I've been comfortable. I've been paying more attention to my 401k than my neighbor who doesn't know him. Today is the day. Here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we wait for this awe-inspiring, wild, crazy moment. It usually comes down to a decision of surrender. So we're going to go back into a song. I'm going to pray. We'll go into a song. And when I say men, if you're in this place and you want to accept Christ in your life for the first time, we're going to be down here to pray for you. But if you're in this place and you're like, I need to meet with God. I need to come down here and hit my knees and just spend a moment with God. Something happens on the inside when there's a physical response on the outside. I can't explain it, but when we move, God moves. Today's your day. Do not wait. Jesus, I love you. God, I am thankful that you use us in spite of who we are. You use me in spite of my fears, in spite of my insecurities, in spite of the when I'm thinking about what others think more than what I'm thinking about what you think. I'm thankful for your goodness. God, today in this place, I'm going to be bold enough to pray that not one person would leave this sanctuary without being closer to you, without having a conversation with you, without being changed by you, without having this radical moment where they say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to that person that I should have been talking to already, but today's my day. God, remind us today that you have a calling on each and every one of our lives. We love you in Jesus' name.